Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. We are excited to jump in today. Uh, If you're new with us, my name is Derek. I'm the pastor here. And uh, we've been in a sermon series called Jesus at the Lake. Uh, It's summertime. We like being at the lake. I actually, in preparation for this message yesterday, spent a lot of time in the sun on the lake. You guys are welcome. I'm well-versed with lake life. Uh, Life is good. But today we are going to wrap it up with kind of the end. Because as we've been going through this sermon series, where we're getting it from is Jesus spent so much time along the Sea of Galilee. And a lot of times we hear Sea of Galilee, we think of you know, salt water, we think of ocean, but the Sea of Galilee really is just a freshwater lake. And so Jesus spent so much of his time, so many of his miracles, his teachings happened around the lake. And so we're going to finish it today as we're kind of at the end of our chronology here as we jump in. So if you could join me, if you want to open up your Bible with me, you can. Otherwise, it's going to be on the screen, whichever you're comfortable with. But we're going to be in John chapter 21 today. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Gennesaret. Whichever name you want to put in there, same body of water. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. If you are a commercial fisherman, as I explained this the first time I, you know, kind of introed this sermon series about a month ago. If you are in this day and age and you catch nothing, it's not just like when we go up to Malax and we have a rough day fishing. When you catch nothing, it's a bad day in Galilee because you just spent all night casting nets, bringing nets in, taking care of your equipment, tending to it, and you received no compensation for it. Because if you were a fisherman in this day and age, how you got your paycheck is the fish you caught, you brought them to the market, you sold them, and you brought the money home. No fish, no money. So you spend all night working and you bring home nothing. It's a bad day. What's worse is where this takes place, this is actually post-resurrection. So the disciples, his followers, who have spent the last three years of their life following Jesus, you know, seeing what he was doing, learning from him, doing whatever it is that he wanted. They just rode the emotional roller coaster of seeing their teacher, their mentor, their leader die. And for three days, be in the grave and then come back to life. And now he's with them again. There's all kinds of emotions wrapped up into that. And what are they doing is they are fishing. And they caught nothing. It was a great night. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, the shore of the Sea of Galilee, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. Isn't that fun, right, when you're fishing and you're catching nothing? How's the bite, fellas? Terrible, right? Like it's the most insulting thing when you catch no fish. And so they have no idea who this man is, but he yells out, haven't you any fish? And they say, no. 
This mysterious man to them says, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that being John, said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter uh, saw this, he jumped. I'm sorry. Let me, as soon as he saw this, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. There's so much to this. I could, I could preach five messages just from that passage of Scripture, but I want to just break this down because what's so helpful to know is when we read this book is it's real life. It's real life people. These are not figments of our imagination. These are not just like hyperbolic uh, stories. These are real people. And there's so much to this that I love. Like, first of all, Peter recognizes it's Jesus 100 yards from shore. And he's, you know, shirtless, I can only imagine, fishing. And he sees it's Jesus. So what's he, he puts his clothes on and then jumps into the water, which is obscure and a little odd, right? But what's super cool with this story is the nuances of it. If you were here four weeks ago when I kicked off this sermon series, this might sound really, really familiar. Because how this whole disciple following train started is with a story just like this. The disciples following Jesus, and after a long day of no fish, Jesus says, hey, go back out and fish and put your net out on this side. And they bring in such a big catch of fish, they can barely get it in with two boats. But here's where I want to focus today, everybody. I know I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you, but I gotta be honest, this is one of my literal all-time favorite stories of the Bible because it's so relevant and it's so real. And it's important to understand the context. Verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 to be exact. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. The first point I have for you this morning is perceived inactivity does not mean that God's not working on your behalf. The disciples had spent three years following this man named Jesus. And I got to tell you, I'm sure there was a little bit of lulls once in a while, but for the most part, it had to have been like constant activity. When they followed Jesus, they saw literally him bring someone who was dead back to life. They saw somebody who was blind, like all of a sudden have their eyes open and they could see again. They saw someone who was deathly ill get healed. They saw all these miraculous things time and time and time again. And it was always constant activity, always moving. Yet here they are in this story, in this part of the thing. And what do they do? They're bored, so they go fishing. There wasn't a whole lot going on. It felt like there was no activity. If I could just be really blunt, it almost feels as if they sat back and they go, what was all of that for? We spent three years giving up everything to follow this man named Jesus. And now we're just sitting around going fishing? What's the point? It feels like there's no activity. But what's super interesting is Matthew chapter 28 verse 7 says this. 
It talks, he basically bakes it into this waiting period for Jesus. They then quickly and go and tell the disciples, he has risen from the dead. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you, this is right after he comes back to life. And then three verses later in verse 10, he says this. I have it up on the screen. I'm not going to flip to it. Thank you. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. What is happening is Jesus is baking this time of period, this period of time into their life so that they will just reflect, slow down, and realize it, what it is that's going on. For three years, it's been crazy, busy chaos, where quite frankly, it was easy to have faith. It's easy to have faith in God when he's bringing somebody dead back to life. It's easy to believe that God's all-powerful when you see it with your very eyes every single day. But now they have this little period of 40 days after Jesus comes back to life where they're just sitting here going, what's next? What's next? Perceived inactivity does not mean God's not working. Every time I sit down with couples, for premarital counseling, I always say this. There will be a time in your marriage where your feelings are going to fail you. There's going to be a moment in your marriage or many moments when you don't feel it. But that doesn't mean it's not there. It's going to feel like I'm not, maybe I'm not as in love with this person as I used to be. We just don't have that same spark. We don't have that same fire that used to burn down there. And all of a sudden, you have these feelings or lack thereof, and it feels like all of a sudden, everything you know to be true comes into question. But the reality is your feelings are going to fail you. They will. I have the most amazing woman in the world. It's seven years of marriage today. Meg is amazing. And I got to tell you, something that we talked about last night, actually, was we were, we were taught so much growing up that the seven-year itch is, is this time where you just fall out of love and all these different things. But we even talked last night how your feelings don't have to trump everything else. And the same thing is happening here in this text is they have this moment where things are slowing down. It feels like God's not moving. It feels like God's not there, but he is, which we're going to see in just a second. But that same principle applies to your faith. There will be seasons in your life, everybody, where your faith feels like it is dying because you won't feel it. It will feel like you, you used to come to church, you used to feel God in worship, and you used to feel like everything is good, and you, you felt like you were growing, you felt like everything was just like, yes, I can feel it, I can, I can just, you know, feel the tangible presence of God. It's super, super great. But there will also be seasons when you don't feel it. And honestly, Satan can get in there and whisper lies of, you know, maybe he's not even real in the first place. Because you don't feel it. You don't feel like it's there. And it can just kind of go, huh, maybe he's not. Your feelings are going to fail you. Which is why in that moment you need to know what's true. Which is here is where rubber meets the road. A message that I believe pertains to all of us, one that is my all-time favorite. John chapter 21, a few verses later in verse 15. When they had finished eating this breakfast of toast and sea bass by the sea, breakfast of champions, try it, sushi for breakfast. It might be decent, I don't know. 
When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. But Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you to where you do not want to go. And Jesus said this to indicate the type of death by which Peter would glorify God. And here's the bow on the whole thing. Then he said to him, follow me. If you look in your Bible, there might be a heading on top of this section that says, Jesus reinstates Peter. What is going on? What, what, what's with the, the repetition act? What's going on? If you look earlier in the story, right before Jesus is about to be betrayed, right before he's about to be taken and arrested and horrifically beat and crucified, he was preparing his disciples saying, hey, this is coming. Just be prepared. And Simon, the ambitious one, the impulsive one, he's like, Jesus, dude, if everybody else turns away, if everybody else, you know, doesn't follow you, I will. I'll stand behind you. I'll fight for you. I will be here no matter what. And Jesus looks at him and goes, by the time the rooster crows tomorrow, you will deny me three times. So this man who is super impulsive, super brave, super strong, right, is ready to defend Jesus at the drop of a hat. I don't care what I got to do. I will stand by you. The next day when push comes to shove, a little girl says, hey, aren't you with Jesus, the guy that just got arrested? And Peter denies it first time. Later on, another little girl, same kind of thing. He denies it the second time. Mere moments later, they're around a campfire trying to stay warm. And some people recognize his accent and go, aren't you one of the men that was with Jesus? And Peter flips on and goes, I don't know the man. Three times. Denies Jesus. And denies even following him. It's a big oops. It's a big oops for somebody who was bound to determine that he'd stand up for Jesus no matter what, yet he can't even stand up to a little girl and be bold enough to say, yeah, I'm with him. He tried. Tried to be ambitious, but he wasn't. My first job when I was 16 years old was at a pet spa. It's pretty awesome. Day one, I showed up, and I saw the non-glamorous part of the spa, the part that was the smelly part of the spa, because I was 16, and I got all the fun jobs. Day number two was hopefully going to be better. I show up, and my boss says, hey, I got a new job for you today. And I thought, thank goodness I don't have to scoop poop today. This is going to be great. He goes, I'm going to have you stain my deck. And I had a few different thoughts. Number one, what does it mean to stain a deck? <laughs> no clue what that meant. I had heard about painting, but never staining. So that was my first thought. Second of all, I was like, why am I staining a deck at a pet spa? So sure enough, I drive to the guy's house, and he 
shows me where the bucket of stain is. He shows me where the sock is. I wasn't sure why that was a sock was going to be necessary. Later found out that's how you stain the deck. All the different things that come with it. And he goes, okay, good luck. So off he goes, and I thought, okay, cool. What am I going to do first? I'm going to call my dad ask him how I do this. Because I wasn't going to ask my boss how to stain the deck, right? He asked me to do it. So I call my dad. He gives me the rundown. Life is good. What I didn't know about stain is um, it stains everything. So when you actually get some stain on your gloves, and then you like are up trying to be delicate next to the house to make sure you get the deck really closely, that stain that you spilled in the back of your hand, it stains the vinyl siding on the house he's trying to sell. So when he shows up, and I thought I was doing a mighty fine job, and I heard uh, more Effenheimers in two minutes than I had the last whole week ahead of time, and he was saying, look what you did to my house! The next day, I was bound and determined to not make any mistakes. I, I, I pepped myself up on the way to work. I was like, all right, Derek, here's the deal. You are going to be surgeon-like with this stain today, okay? You are not going to have one little drop, even drop onto the grass outside of the deck because you're going to just be pristine. You're going to be precise. You got this. And so for the first 30 minutes, I was rocking. I was killing it so much so that I was like, oh, this is looking good. I stepped back to look at the deck, forgetting that, oh, yeah, by the way, here's a good idea. Let's leave a full bucket of stain in the middle of the white concrete slab. Boom, stain goes back, and there was a brown stain about the size of the stage. Not actually, but it was probably at least from here to the drum cage and here to the thing, and I thought, I'm dead. Like, I literally might move to Canada because this is going to be bad. I called my boss, and I said, hey, uh, I made a mistake. He goes, what happened? I said, I uh, tipped over the stain on your, on your concrete. Silence. 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 You better just go home for the day. Good idea, right? Like, I went home and I was just a mess. I was crying. I was like, I'm dead. Like, I actually am dead. This is going to be so, so bad. Because not only did I just, like, I wasn't, not that I was necessarily afraid of the man because he's just a dude. If he fires me, it is what it is. But you have this moment where you make a mistake and you go, I feel so bad. Like, this is going to cost him thousands of dollars. He's trying to sell his house and he's trying to have me do something for him. And, and I'm just, I'm taking steps backwards. And it's a big, big oops. In John chapter 21, there's a really big oops that happened. Peter, the self-proclaimed leader of the group, when push came to shove, he didn't stand up for the Lord. He denied him. And every one of the disciples in the group knew it. So I want you to picture this. They're fishing because they don't know what's next for them. They don't know what God's calling and called them to do next. They're just, they're just waiting around. So Peter says, let's go fishing. They go fishing, catch a bunch of fish. They come back, go on to shore, have a little breakfast. And I can literally just picture this campfire on the seashore with everyone just kind of staring inside at the fire and just kind of hearing the crackling of the wood, right? Just kind of that introspective, reflective moment. And with all of them around there, with the big 2,000-pound gorilla in the room, knowing that Peter 
done screwed up bad. Jesus looks at Peter and says, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Call him by his full name. Not Simon Peter, not Peter, the rock upon which I will build. Call him by his full name, his given name. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter responds, yes, Lord, you know I love you. So Jesus said, all right, feed my lambs. Seconds later, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Good. Take care of my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter with a little bit of frustration, a little bit of hurt, like, Jesus, you know all things. You know me better than anybody else around me. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Church, this story is one of my all-time favorites. Because I think if we're honest, we can relate with Peter a little bit. We can relate with what it's like when you're sitting here and you grit your teeth and you're like, you know what, God, this is it. This is time. I am gonna, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to do the right thing. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to fight for my marriage. I'm going to be the father or the mother or the caregiver that I'm meant to be. I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to leave this behind. I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to come clean. I'm going to get right. I'm going to get myself acquainted. It is time, and I'm going to do it right here and right now. And you do it, and life is good for a day, and then you screw up. And it can feel like Peter, where you sit there and you go, how did this happen? Because I love, in a moment of realness and vulnerability, right after Peter denies Christ three times and the rooster crows, what do we, it's almost like the story pans over to Peter, and Peter, this strong, this ambitious, this just macho man, starts to weep bitterly. The kind of ugly crying where you just have snot coming down because you realize how bad you screwed up. And here's what I love about this story. Jesus knows all things. Peter said it. So Peter knows. I'm sorry, Jesus knows that Peter's sorry. He knows that he knows that he screwed up. But three times gives him an opportunity. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. Simon, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I do. Good. And you're ready. You're ready. Here's the thing, everybody. This story wrecks me every time. Because Jesus forgives us right away. Up. I don't care how bad it is. David, a man after God's own heart, had an affair and killed the mistress's husband. God still forgave him. Right away, as soon as he asked. You are going to make mistakes, everybody. Small ones and big ones. 
What happened last night might have happened this week. You might have struggled to come to church today because you're sitting there and you're going, how in the world can I go to church knowing what I just did? And then what I love about this story is that's exactly the point is when everybody was around there, everybody knew the mistake that happened. But Jesus took the time to look into Peter's eyes and say, Simon, do you love me? Because here's what I really believe when I look at this story. Peter was already forgiven. But he didn't forgive himself. The dude jumps out of the boat. They're a hundred yards from shore. They could have just rode over and it was over, but he was so ready to get to Jesus that he jumps out the boat and starts front crawling all the way because he wants to be there first. He wants to be with Jesus because he wants to make it right. Jesus reinstates Peter. I don't think he was reinstated because God ever suspended him. I think he was reinstated because Peter was now aware. Okay, I'm free. I'm forgiven. I'm good. Do you know how good that probably felt when Peter is sitting here going, I failed God so bad. And God looks at him right in the eyes and says, you're good. Here's what I want us to see, everybody. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Feed my lambs. The thing is, God's got plans for you. He's got plans for your life and your story and your testimony. There are people that you're going to meet in your job, that you're going to meet in our town, you're going to meet on a business appointment, you're going to meet when you're taking your kids to the park. There are going to be people in your life that you may not even know that God's going to use you to share your story and his hope. But if we dwell on the past and we dwell in the shame and the guilt of our mistakes, we're not going to be in a mental space to share the hope of Jesus. I love that when he gives him a chance to redeem himself, the next things out of Jesus' mouth are do something with it. You've been forgiven, so do something with it. Share your story. Do what I've called you to do. To bring it full circle, here's what's super cool about the whole story. This is the last time that we know of that Jesus and Peter had this interaction. After this, Jesus goes up into heaven and they get the next piece of the puzzle. Go to Jerusalem and wait for something called the Holy Spirit. They go to Jerusalem, Acts chapter 2 powerful, powerful thing. And after they're filled with the Holy Spirit, he was here that's really cool. They're more or less on a stage with 5,000 plus people listening. And who's the first person to get up and preach about the message of Jesus? Peter. The man who couldn't preach to a little girl mere months before. 
Satan will try to use your past to disqualify you because he knows that your past doesn't actually disqualify you. He knows that the shame and the guilt that you can dwell in is going to keep you from sharing the hope and the happiness and the excitement of Jesus. So he's going to try and remind you of it. Oh yeah, you can't be a Christian because you did that. Oh yeah, you did that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Snapshot, snapshot, snapshot. When Jesus is sitting here on the seashore in your life saying, you love me and I love you. Let's move on. Go and do the things I've called you to do because you're good and I love you. We as a church need to step into Jesus' love and his forgiveness. And here's what I want to end with this morning. I'd be very careful not to drink this because uh, this is water from the Sea of Galilee. I had an empty water bottle when I was there. and I was like, I got to grab this. And as I looked at it this week, as I wrapped up my sermon series, I just thought about what it must have been like for Peter. Along the same body of water, the same lake, where Jesus called him to start, hey, will you follow me? Three years prior, for three years later, to be asked the same question or the same command, follow me, knowing how much he grew. I can only imagine every time he walked past the same body of water, this same lake, what Jesus spoke to him on the shore. Every doubt, every question, every reminder of his past was a reminder that feed my lambs, take care of my sheep. You know that I love you. This morning, my question for you and really practical is, how do you think God sees you? Because I know how he sees you question is how do you think he sees you because if you think God's up there ready to strike lightning on you for your mistakes and your past you're wrong I believe it's just like John chapter 21 and I believe Jesus wants to have that same encounter with each of you as he had with me this week do you love me yes Lord you know I do feed my lambs live the life I've called you to live would you pray with me this morning Jesus, I believe in this place today there are people who have what feels like a rock on their shoulders, a boulder of weight where they just feel like they screwed up and they feel separated from you. Jesus, I pray that today as we humble ourselves and say, God, forgive me for my mistakes. Forgive me for this this thing I did. I believe, Jesus, that in that moment you forgive us and you give us a clean slate and a fresh start. But today, God, I pray that the weight of the shame and the guilt would come off. In Jesus' name. And I pray that they would walk out of this place uplifted and encouraged, ready to step into the life they've called, that you called them to live. God, today, as we walk out these doors, I pray that we would not walk out defeated. We would not walk out feeling like we are screw-ups and mess-ups. But God, we'd walk out of this, of this place knowing we are redeemed, knowing we are called, knowing we are made new in Jesus' name, and that we are going to step into the very things we're called to do, working on our marriage, working 
with our kids, developing that relationship, going through the forgiveness, going through the things that we're calling us to do, Jesus, it's because of you. And today I pray that we would feel and experience that freedom. So in a way of just universally saying, Jesus, forgive us, would you make us new? God, I pray that today we would feel the weightlessness of forgiveness and we would feel made new from this point forward. Jesus, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We put our hands together for God this morning. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.